Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The language police of political correctness in the church are telling us that Christians should not say that they are blessed when reporting on good health or a new job or a new wardrobe. Such language, we're told, is prejudicial against the poor and superficial in relating the points of our true blessedness in Christ. But is this right? Are we just lucky? Psalm 68:19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Now, how lucky is that? So the ark has arrived and it's been set in its place. And God is now recognized as present among the people. Now the question is, what will the results be? What will be the outcome of this ascension of God to be residing among the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem? What can they expect from such a God? And what can we expect? Uh, The image that we followed is of this ark making its way up to Jerusalem from the house of Obed-Edom, geographically passing from the lowlands to this high place where the capital is set. At the same time, David has led this parade. He's been remembering and rehearsing how God led the nation of Israel out of bondage in slavery in Egypt, how he led them through the wilderness, how he manifested himself at Mount Sinai, how they passed by Mount Horeb to come to this other mountain that God chose to reside in, how they conquered over the various kings of the land, defeating the various kings of the Canaanites, ultimately defeating the Jebusites through David himself in order to take possession of this city, Jerusalem, and to make it the center of his kingdom and the center of God's worship. David remembers then his own victories and God's hand upon him making him king over the nation. But as great as these historical reflections have been, what God did in leading Israel out of bondage, and as great as this present parade has been going up from the house of Obed-Edom where sacrifices are made all along the way as the ark was being carried up and David danced before the ark, as great as all that was, David is speaking through the spirit of an event that's even greater than that. He is projecting, and the Spirit is guiding him to project towards an ascension far greater than this. He's speaking of the day when Christ, having come to the earth, having tabernacled among us, having died for our sins, to bring us out of our bondage to sin, having risen from the grave, would ascend into heaven to sit down and rule over the universe and be established there at the right hand of God as our intercessor. And from this throne in heaven, he lives to orchestrate and to administer his great salvation among us and to bring its final applications about. And so the question is, if this is ultimately the height of the song, you see, and it's all about the Lord Jesus, what can we expect the outcome to be? What is the outcome of our Lord Jesus having risen and ascended and seated himself in heavenly places? And the Bible says that he has not only seated himself in heavenly places, but that we have been seated with him. And so, in a sense, we are those who have trusted in Christ as our Savior. We are as truly 
and really seated with Christ in heaven right now where He has ascended as He is truly and really seated in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, living and abiding within us. This kingdom that God has established is irrevocable within us. It is ours. So what will transpire now? What is it that will be the result for us in this hour? And what might we expect for future days ahead? Well, there are a number of things that are listed ultimately. There is, in verse 21, an expression of great judgment that yet will be concluded, that will be finalized so completely and utterly that we shall place our feet upon the judged as well, and we shall be triumphant over every expression of evil. There will be the influx of the worship of all the nations to Him one day, and all the earth one day will rise to praise Him and glorify Him, and the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, Isaiah tells us. And Jesus shall reign, as we sing, where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. But verses 19 and 20 tell us how it will begin for us how it will follow for us. Now, there is judgment and there is the praise of all the earth and worshiping Him, but how it will begin for us? Well, there are three things we note here. One of them, we are not exactly sure whether it's how the text should read. And I'm not about to say that the persons who have translated the text are entirely wrong, although most modern translators don't give it to us this way. Still, there's something true about this. He daily, in your old King James, in your new King James, he daily loads us with benefits. It's a good expression. Daily giving us blessings or benefits. Loads us. Here the picture is God loads benefits on us. And in the phrasing, in the terminology, there is a sense of astonishment that we become the recipients of this blessing. Now listen, there is a reason to see in the psalm itself that this is a reasonable translation because we read in verse 6 that God sets the solitary in families and He brings out those who are bound or enslaved into prosperity. And then in verse 10 it says this, You, O God, provide from your goodness for the poor. Well, there's richness. There's blessing. There is a reasonable account that would lead us to come to this translation that He daily loads us with benefits. He blesses us. It reminds us. If ultimately what David is foreseeing and what Paul recognizes in Ephesians is what David was foreseeing by the Holy Spirit was the ascension of Christ in the heavenly places. It reminds us of that occasion when Christ did ascend into heaven. Actually, in Luke chapter 24, we have a description of what took place when Jesus, and at the moment in which Jesus ascended up from the presence of His disciples into heavenly glory. Verses 50 and 51 of Luke 24, it says this, And He led them out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass while He blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. You get the picture? He gathers his disciples all around them. He raises his hands over them. And their last sight of them is the sight of him extending out his hands towards them in blessing. And he ascends. And this position of our Lord has not changed. 
It is the last sight we had of him. He left us blessing us. He left us to bless us. He left us to continually pour out his blessing upon us. This is his continual work today. Now, interestingly enough, there is a movement right now. You can actually Google it and find it. I found a number of articles that were just written in the last year along this. A movement underfoot that would discourage Christians from referring to their lives as blessed. Uh, a person's not supposed to count up the material issues of their life or their good health and say that God has blessed me. Now, part of this is to kind of overcome a certain shallowness from some lady who goes shopping and finds a pair of shoes that matches the new costume that she just bought and say that she's blessed. God has blessed me. Did I say costume? Isn't that what, isn't that what they are, costumes? <laughs> I'm confused. You get a red dress and you get a red hat and you get red shoes. Isn't that a costume? I thought that was a costume. <laughs> you accessorize it with a white belt and I guess it's no longer a costume. Anyhow, I'm so blessed. And there is a certain shallowness to it. And it does seem to not keep in mind that there are people all over the world that are experiencing far less of those kinds of material blessings and individuals who suffer physically and lack good health. And so the idea is, in order that we not be proud and that somehow mistakenly think that our wealth and our riches is some kind of blessing that differentiates us from other individuals, that these types of statements and phrases are unfeeling and they're smug and so instead, we're told, instead of saying that we're blessed, we ought to simply say that we're just lucky. That's one of the advices I read. Or we shouldn't say anything at all or whatsoever. But, you know, the Bible actually teaches us in some strange way that all the things that God bestows upon us are on this earth and all of the favor that we realize are uniquely God's blessings to His children, the redeemed, and that we can claim them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, we have Paul coming to the church in Corinth who's dividing up between who it is that they're going to follow, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter, and Paul basically strips away their arguments by saying, listen, you're claiming your unique positions in one person or another person, but don't you know God has given everything to you? All things are yours to claim. For all things are yours, he says, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all of it is yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So there's some sense in which all this stuff is ours. It's all been given to us. We may not always be able to hold everything that God possesses in our hands, but we should understand that all things belong to God, and as His children, we are heirs of God, and so all things belong to us. Sometimes we recognize that blessing in wealth. Sometimes we recognize that blessing in health. And we should learn to say in those moments that God has blessed us. And sometimes health and wealth stay far from our door. But God is still blessing us. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us who follow Christ that He works all things, God works all things together for our good. And so there is a unique boast that belongs to the child of God alone that we are blessed. 
When I was a young man, I had cousins who weren't walking with the Lord whatsoever. They didn't have any kind of influence in Christian things whatsoever. And we would read their letters and we would hear their phrases. And they were the language of people who did not know God nor trace the things of God in their lives. Then our cousins started coming to Christ. Out of this entirely secular and worldly environment, and the first thing we noticed was their language began to change. They began to say things like, God is blessing us, or we are blessed, or we are so thankful. And the very language was an expression of a recognition that over all the things that you might experience, God was the one tending to it and providing for us out of His own storehouse, His provisions, sometimes just according to need, sometimes in an overabundance, but it was all of God. Now, God holds this supreme blessing as the God who owns all things. He used to sing as kids, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mind. The God who holds all these things holds them in trust for us. And one day we shall reign inheriting all of the wealth of all of His divine possessions. But they're in trust now. So sometimes, sometimes, all the time, you don't get all of it. He holds it back, right? But it's there for us. It's ours. And so we should learn to review all that we've received. Yes, silly as it is, even those matching shoes. And say, God has blessed me. God has enriched me. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. And until the next time, God keep on blessing you.